everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Crime and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. And my name's Mike. Hi, Mike. Yo, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Good, good. Um, how about a uh, quick round of applause for us here? Oh, thanks, guys. Thank thanks. Hey. Our live studio audience. Yeah. We really appreciate that. Boy, that went on and on, didn't it? It did. I, I could use probably another a second less of that. I'd I say, say so, yeah. Uh, so now I have my new machine like right next to me so I can you know, kind of hit the buttons whenever I want. Uh, we'll see if it actually comes I, in handy or yeah. useful. Yeah, it probably won't. Let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, let's That's be okay. honest. It won't. Uh, that, but uh, yeah, it, it gives me something to look forward to besides seeing your beautiful face every day. So, Well, right now I'm a little ragged if you're watching us on YouTube. I, we've been running around all day, so no makeup, hat on the head, mm-hmm. and a you know sweatshirt. Pl- plenty of blemishes, too, it looks like. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. She looks good. Uh, no, good, because, um, yeah, I mean, you're, you always take care of your face. You always got all your skin care. Although we were talking, and I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast, our 12-year-old girls, my best friend and I, they were complaining about pimples. And we're like, yeah, welcome to the 40s where you have pimples, wrinkles, and gray hair. Yeah, and facial hair, too. Yeah, you know, my little shaver. Although our daughter is using that, too. Is she? The little hair remover thing. And we all have our peach fuzz. Well, we're human beings, uh, which are mammals. Mm -hmm. So mammals have hair, you know, every single orifice. So Mm -hmm. that's all right. Orifice? I mean, maybe not in the whole... Why? Don't say the word orifice. Don't ever say that word ever again. Skin? Skin is your biggest organ. You tell me that every time. I do, and you got to protect it. Yeah, you're getting pretty serious about your skin care. I am hugely serious about my skin care. You're starting to get, like, natural, what, skin, like... uh, not shampoo. That's the one thing you won't do. Yeah, let's call a spade a spade. I'm putting lots of color on this hair. I'm using the Redken whatever color product that you, I use from the salon. You forbid me from using it. Yeah, because you were. And I was like, no, no, no. That stuff's too nice for you. It's nice because it does suds up very well. So I'm using natural face, not face wash yet. I will transition over. Uh, body wash, lotion, sunscreen, face sunscreen, deodorants, because again, like you just said, it is our largest organ. We may as well try to protect it with all natural products, I suppose. Yeah, well, you can, right? Yeah, and meanwhile, I'm over here smoking cigs. Really? You took up no, cigarettes. That's no. kind of interesting and fun. That's a fun fact. No, I didn't. No, no. So it, it is good. I, uh, I'm do using the. I just listen. Like so, anything Andrew Huberman talks about is basically what I'm into. So that's kind of shallow, I would say, on my behalf. No, it's just your thought of your topic of thought. Yeah. So I love listening and learning things. Like if I'm reading something and not learning, I don't actually enjoy it. So I've never liked fiction because it's just like a fantasy story, which is fun for other people, just mm-hmm. not me. And and so I listen to Andrew Huberman's podcast and he gets into all these like scientific things, the best way to do stuff. And his last one was on oral health care. So, you know, it's obvious you brush twice a day, floss every single day and then take care of your oral microbiome. So I got this new toothpaste that should help with that. Yeah. And Mike's like, and they said, you know, you should really floss twice a day. I'm like, who the hell's flossing twice a day? Not me, but I do floss every single day. Like it's the same people that are saying brush your dog's teeth every day. And that you know what I always think of, which doesn't get me to actually brush my dog's teeth, but they say if you love your dog, you will brush their teeth as often as possible. And we love our, I mean, you especially love our dog. I do. I adore our dog. But so I, why don't you brush not, your teeth? I don't know. It's just another thing on the to-do list. I mean, you're sitting watching television. You're watching The Real Housewives of uh, Utah or whatever, Salt Lake City. Yeah. You know what would Give be nice, little- Mike? <laughs> if you're like my wife, she does the grocery shopping, cooking, most of the cleaning, the laundry. Maybe I'll brush the dog's teeth. I cook once a week. 
How about that? Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Uh, maybe I will. Hey, I've got the little brushy thing. The that little goes thing on that, your finger. Yeah, it's on your finger. You put a little beef flavored uh, toothpaste on oh. there. I use your beef flavored toothpaste. <laughs> Hope that's okay. No, I like the beef and cheddar. <laughs> you like the tallow, beef and tallow and cheddar. <laughs> you just use that all Bone marrow comes. toothpaste. Yeah, well, that sounds so good right now. Oh, some bone gross. marrow. Yeah, so uh, what else is going on in your world? Nothing. Um, just you always say nothing, always nothing. But there's so much. Like you have a whole mindful of stuff. Yeah, going on right I now. know it's a mess up there. Yeah, we're loving this weekend because it's super rainy. So we've been just spending time together as a family, running errands. It's, it's heavenly. Nice. It feels like it's like we're in Portland or something. I love it. We're oh. pretending we're somewhere else. Yeah, and the, yet we still live in Florida, which is fun. <laughs> yeah, know, it's it's kind of like America's like waiting ground, I guess. Whatever. Uh, or Amer- not America's heaven's waiting area. Yeah, so waiting room. Thank waiting you. room. That's it. That's it, it came to you eventually. So we're the crime and coffee couple, which normally we're drinking coffee during this, but today we're the San Pellegrino and um, crime couple. Uh, and it's delicious, I would say. We're not sponsored by these guys, of course not. Well, but. it's a little late in the day to be drinking coffee. Yeah, so. I have had, to be fair, about 12 shots of coffee, I would say. We went out to breakfast today, which is super rare. And uh, yeah, I love co- going out to breakfast because you have bottomless coffee. Like, I try to slam my first one right away and be like, all right, another one, another one. Yeah, and I love the places that bring out the carafe and like mm-hmm. leave it for you. Oh, that's the best. First watch does that. It's just like I slam that thing. Easy. And then if you watched our Instagram reels, we went on a date to a trampoline place that was riddled with thousands of screaming children. That's a date when you're married with a 12 year old and a 15 year old yeah check us out on the social media platforms crime and coffee number two so yes. crime and coffee two on any social media and yeah our, our reel is up there and uh that that is basically how it is at, at, at this age um and that is the dirtiest place i think on the planet earth it's like covid heaven in that place yeah it's not even that particular place any trampoline place like you it's just like see feet everywhere hands all, everywhere oh, these little kids just coughing and like i guarantee somebody's getting covid from that it wasn't even just the kids coughing. I'm seeing these adults around me coughing, not covering their mouths. I was so disgusted. <laughs> We're just like covered everywhere with people. It's like, eh, I didn't want to touch my face. I like put my uh, the sleeve of my arm on there and I was like trying to wipe my eyes so I wouldn't touch my yeah, skin. Yeah, it's like a Petri dish in there. It really is. So hopefully uh, we don't uh, die from it. Or hopefully, anything. but we'll see. Time yeah. will tell. Yeah. So should we get started on this? I think so. All right. So this is a listener suggestion from Annie. This is a really tough one. I will warn you of that. Trigger warnings? Well, I mean, not. I mean, it's just very, very vicious and sad. Okay. So this is the murder of Hannah Clark and her three children. And I think, you know, obviously humans being hurt is sad. But when it's innocent children, it's really, really hurts. Yeah, because they have their whole lives ahead of them. You Mm -hmm. know, you can't be like, you know, they had uh, a lot in front of them and they were such a great person up to this point. It's like the kids have their literally their entire lives. Their lives just started. Yeah. So Hannah Clark was an Australian woman who was born on September 8th, 1988 to parents Lloyd and Sue Clark. She also had a younger brother. In 2008, when Hannah was 20 years old, she met a man, and this was somebody that um, was 11 years older than her. This is 31-year-old Rowan Baxter. At the time that she met him, she was teaching a class at the gym, and her his son just happened to be in her class. And then soon Rowan began working at the gym as a boxing instructor. So that's how they met each other. So Rowan had a tumultuous childhood. His father had been in prison for sexually abusing his sisters. Mm. He was a very fit and healthy man. He rarely drank alcohol. He did not take drugs. At the time that he met Hannah, he was living with his wife, who he met when he was 18 and she was 16. 
Rowan was a New Zealand-born man. He had previously played rugby with the New Zealand Warriors. He was a very fit, you know, very, like, well-built guy, huge muscles. Fitness was a huge part of his life. Clearly out of his mind, because anybody playing rugby is out of their minds. Yeah. I would just say, I'm, I'm watching the Netflix, like, rugby special. It's crazy, but go, sorry. To it's a rough sport. Yep. So at the time, Hannah was still living at home, and... The moment that Hannah's mom, Sue Clark, laid eyes on Rowan, she just didn't like him. There was just something in her gut that told her this is not a good guy. He told Hannah's parents his living arrangement, you know, the fact that he was still living with his wife, was purely for his child, and they were separated. In reality, though, he told his friend something different. He said that... You know, he was only living with his wife because he simply couldn't afford to move out. And his wife was aware of the fact that he was having an affair, which she was very angry about. During his marriage, his wife quickly discovered that Rowan showed signs of very controlling behavior as well as anger issues. By the time their child was two years old, his wife wanted to end the relationship. At the time that Hannah met Rowan, no one was aware of the fact that Rowan had contemplated killing his ex-partner and his son and himself in a dramatic murder-suicide. How do we know that? Uh, it later came out. He okay. told a friend, Ugh. which, I mean, how do you tell a person that? Yeah, and to be clear, it's not because of rugby. I just want to put that out there. Rugby, yeah, you were just I, I love joking. rugby. I actually absolutely love the sport. So I know yeah. we have a lot of Australian and English listeners and everybody in the UK and stuff. Like, I, I love rugby. So. Well, you were joking when you said 100%. that. I would, I would I, but, assume so. Yeah, yeah. So he later told his friend that he had gone to the house armed with a rope, tape, and a knife. He told his wife that he wanted his family back and he had a hose pipe in the trunk of his car. He planned to end it for all three of them. Fearing for her safety and her sons, she basically felt bamboozled to stay with him because she did not want anything to happen to her or her son. And a lot of people are in that situation, very sadly. You know, it, it is. Like they feel like there's no other way out and they want the absolute best for their kid. We all hear about having a family unit is the best. And it's like, at what point is it good to stop it? Right. You know, when danger becomes a part of it, unfortunately. And it was 2007 that the family relocated from New Zealand to Australia. For four months after meeting Hannah, Rowan moved out of the home that he and his wife shared with his child, and he moved in with a friend. And six months after they started dating, Hannah realized that she was pregnant. She wanted to have the baby, but Rowan said that she was too young, and he convinced her at that point to have an abortion. Despite their initial reservations, Rowan eventually did win the Clark family over. Sue described him as being lovely in the early years of the relationship. At that point in time, people are showing a different face of who they really are. They want to get you to love them, get comfortable, get stuck, you might say, and then their true colors come out. Yeah, I would say you don't really truly know a person maybe for like about three years as far. Yeah, that's how I feel. So Rowan proposed to Hannah in 2011, and they were married in Kingscliff, now, uh, New South Wales, in 2012. At the time of their wedding, Hannah was 14 weeks pregnant. The couple welcomed their first daughter, Aaliyah, in 2013. Then they had their second daughter, Leanna, in 2014. And then they had their son, Trey, in 2016. So as of 2020, Aaliyah was six, Leanna was four, and Trey was three. Each child on their own was said to light up a room. Aaliyah, the oldest, was described as articulate, clever, and well-behaved. She was in year two at school, reading ahead, and she often told stories to her younger siblings. She was like a little mother hen. 
She watched her mother do her CrossFit routines. She soon began copying her and she was, you know, she was very strong and fit despite her young age. That's awesome. Leana had just started preschool. She was described as the spunky one of the trio. She did anything she could to make her family laugh. She played the role of the little dynamo within their hectic family life. And then Trey was a mommy's boy through and through as a typical little boy does. He loved running, jumping and playing. He was the baby and uh, he was mothered by two other sisters, too, mm-hmm. I'm sure. So that's that's adorable. Hannah was a bright and bubbly woman. She was full of empathy. She was a selfless person who also had a competitive edge when she worked out at the gym. She was very much into fitness. She had an infectious smile. Her soul was said to touch the life of others. From the outside, anyone looking at this family of four would see, or at this point, actually five, would see a picture of perfection. They're gorgeous people. Their children are precious. You see them on Instagram. You're like, oh, my God, they've got everything. Yes. But what was hidden from the surface was an abusive, unhappy marriage. And that's sad. Um, I, I'm, you're going to get into it more. But like, I, obviously, everybody knows you, we can't stand abusive stuff. Is it just on Rowan's part, I, I would imagine? Mm-hmm. Oh, God, yeah, so more so mentally than physically. Same, you know, very similar. Oh, totally. I'm not downplaying it, but clarifying more so. So when the children arrived, the relationship began to sour. 31-year-old Hannah was very close with her family. And when things were bad, she would always reach out to her mom. Her mom was her support system. They were very close as a family. As Hannah's dad, Lloyd, describes, it was always Rowan's way or the highway. So Hannah and Rowan made the decision to open a gym, which they named Integrate and CrossFit SMC in Mansfield. Sue helped the couple get on their feet. She helped by investing money into the business. And she believes it's possible that something she may have said caused Rowan to feel like he was owned by the Clarks. Rowan began to treat his mother-in-law terribly and made it clear that she never needed to be there. During one exercise at the gym while supporting Sue, because Sue worked out there, Rowan dropped her, and this caused Sue to split her face open. And rather than being concerned, he laughed at her. And to the shock and horror of the gym members, he's making light of the situation that he should have been concerned about. Well, you're, if I'm a gym member, I'm thinking, wow, you're a real piece of garbage, Rowan. Mm-hmm. And he told Sue that she simply just needed to harden up because it happens all the time when playing football. Not only was he terrible to sue, but Rowan also berated paying customers at the gym as being fat and lazy and not working hard enough. <laughs> that doesn't go over well. It's not good for business, I think. It's kind of like it reminds me when you go to those Google reviews and somebody's like, uh, the, the sandwich wasn't very cold. And they're like, you know what? Then go to hell. Like, don't come back. It's, it's like, like mm. okay, maybe treat it a little different way. Be like, hey, we're trying our best. You know, not the, the customer's not always right. I totally get that. But be respectful in right. your responses. Yeah. So, you know, he was very off-putting to the, the public, and his blunt actions often drove members of the gym away. Rowan also found it very difficult to manage the finances of the gym, and because of this, the business was not doing well. They were struggling. They were regularly behind on rent and bills, and oftentimes, Sue, Sue and Lloyd would pick up the slack and pay these bills for them. Ugh. So when Rowan felt that Hannah misbehaved, and I hate that word, like, are you a think she's a child right he would punish sue her mom by keeping the grandkids from her if sue spoke out against rowan hannah would later call her crying and begging her to apologize to him 
when Hannah returned to work after having the children, Rowan arranged his schedule in order to prevent Sue from being the one to watch the kids. Sue remembers that she was never able to voice what she thought and time around Rowan kept everyone walking on eggshells. During family gatherings, Rowan openly criticized Sue in front of Hannah and her brother and soon put an end to these weekly barbecues that the Clarks would host at their home. Was he a pretty like big guy, ripped guy, I would imagine? He wasn't like exceptionally tall, but yeah, he had big muscles for sure. So you'd be maybe a little intimidated about telling him to shut his mouth because, you know, he might fly off. And not only that, but he's holding the key to be able to see the grandkids. So she doesn't want to do anything to prevent that from happening. And he is one that if you piss him off, he's going to punish you. You won't see those grandkids for months if that's the case. Probably the right move. So again, she's walking on eggshells. On Mother's Day, he only allowed Hannah to spend half the day with Sue and insisted she spend the rest of the day celebrating his mother who was deceased. On Good Friday, he stopped the family from going to the Clark's annual celebration. So I picture them just like, okay, well, we're going to sit at home and think about your mom. Like, you just want me to like celebrate her? Like, are we having like a cake on Mother's Day, even though it's my Mother's Day? Yeah, it's also Hannah's Mother's Day. Like, I mean, call me old fashioned, but I think a mother should be able to do what she wants on her Mother's Day. Right. And she wanted to spend the day with her mom who was living. Yeah. So Hannah was a busy mom of three young children and Rowan demanded sex from her on a daily basis. And at times he would choke her during the act. Hannah's friends said that per his order, she was not allowed to wear shorts or the color pink. He did allow her to wear bikinis if she was at the beach, but that was it. Man, I hate this guy already. Oh, he's such an ass. I can't like I can't stand somebody who is a human being that thinks they have power over another human being. Or like she is his property. Yeah, that's insane. He decided who she was allowed to spend time with, and they shared a Facebook page since Rowan did not allow her to have her own. During training sessions at the gym, if Hannah performed better than him, Rowan would lash out and try to undermine her at achievements, accusing her of cheating or not doing her routines correctly. So, I mean, there's probably people that are smarter than us are listening to this and thinking so many of these labels that apply to Rowan, whatever narcissistic or whatever these things are. There's definitely some issues going on with mm-hmm. Rowan. He's got this like inferiority complex. A hundred percent. So many things. Behind closed doors, Rowan would call Hannah fat and tell her that she needed to lose weight and get back into shape. Mind you, she delivered three of his children. What an absolute nightmare of a human being. He showed clear signs of coercive control. Is that anything you know about? Coercive control. No. So this is an act or pattern of acts of assault, threats, humiliation, and intimidation that is used to scare, punish, or harm the victim. It's designed to isolate a person from their support systems, making them that much more dependent on the abuser who is controlling their everyday behavior. I read through the list of characteristics of coercive control, and he displayed like every single one of them. Could you explain it in like plain English, like speaking? Like, well, you I and just I? did. Well, it's I know, somebody but- that's running your everyday life, telling you who you can hang out with, what you can wear, what you can do, humiliating you so that your self-esteem crumbles, keeping you from anyone that could tell you this person is being abusive to you. It's just like any of these people that are abusing their partner. They want to isolate them because they don't want the outside to recognize that. And you and I automatically think of a friend in college that had a boyfriend that did that. Terribly. Yeah. 
So he fit the description on this to a T. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just Hannah on the receiving end or Sue on the receiving end of Rowan's abuse, but also their three children. He viewed them as his possessions, kind of like he viewed Hannah. And he was unnecessarily rough with them. Hannah's friend Nicole recalled a time when Aaliyah and Rowan were just play fighting. And, you know, kids and their parents do that. He knocked her into a door frame. He, like, split a piece of her head open. Another time, he forced the kids to get into an post-workout ice bath with him. Trey, being a small child, he screamed. His eyes were bulging with fear as he was forced into the tub. And oddly enough, Rowan would film some of these instances and then post them on the Facebook page for the business. Mm. It was very disturbing. I mean, I'm quiet just because it's just like, man, I want to reach over and do something to this guy so bad. Like, there's so many people that can't have kids that would be so much better off than this piece of garbage that just happens to you know, work in his way into this awesome woman and three probably beautiful children. Mm-hmm. And, and, Ro- or, and Hannah was just an exceptional mother. Yeah. And, and you know, he's unfortunately, ruining he's ruining it and like, making the kids scared. Life is unfair sometimes. And if he and Hannah had a disagreement that had nothing to do with the kids, he would punish the children by canceling outings that they had been greatly looking forward to. He would confiscate their toys. And again, and this had nothing to do with the kids. It's just getting be- some how to hurt somebody right in any way just like showing he has control yes huge on the control and of course Aaliyah she was the oldest of the three she was extremely fearful of her father but at the same time she would boldly stand up to him after a fight with Hannah Rowan would storm from the house like a child and Aaliyah would slam the door behind him and shout and don't come back oh what a spunky girl oh I love her if she act if he acted childishly and gave Hannah the silent treatment which he often did, Aaliyah would confront him and say, Daddy, Mommy said sorry. Can't you just talk to her? It's pretty sad when your own kid. When a child. I just took your words out of your mouth, I'm sure. It's sad when a six-year-old is being more mature than a man in his 40s. Absolutely. It's pretty, pretty sad. So of his three children, he was said to dislike Aaliyah because she stood up to him and called him out on his garbage. And, and he at, didn't like that. At the same time, she's the most like him. And right. that's why they butted head. Not to say that she's a piece of garbage like he is, but, you know. More like headstrong. Yeah, and exactly. When her brother and sister spoke with their dad later during the separation on FaceTime, Aaliyah would sometimes refuse to participate and talk to her father. After Trey was born, Rowan was working at the gym three days a week. He was resting on his other days. Meanwhile, Hannah was taking care of the kids, trying to fit in her own workouts, taking an online marketing course, handling the gym. Basically trying to like make this gym work because Rowan is just there to be seen and talk to people and show he's the big guy on campus and not care about the finances and go home. Meanwhile, Hannah's taking over everything that actually matters. You know, he's like this big peacock strutting around. Yeah. And meanwhile, Hannah's like a duck with her feet like flapping under the water. So Rowan would yell at her and call the house a pig style and ask what she was doing all day. And mind you, he was just laying around on his off days. He told her that they needed money and demanded that she get a second job. Well, here's the thing. You know, if you have a good relationship, you can talk it out with each other and be like, you know, I really don't think you're holding up your you're like you're telling me to do this and I'm going to come home and I see you sitting there. But Hannah doesn't have that luxury because she's probably going to get beaten or at, least, at the very least get called the told that she's a piece of garbage and fat and all this stuff. So she doesn't want to deal with that. She doesn't want to see that in front of her kids. So she probably just keeps on keeps her legs going underwater because you want to keep the peace. Yeah. 
So he told her again that they needed more money. She demand or he demanded that she get a second job. She began working at a shoe store on Mondays and Fridays and then worked at the gym on the other di- days. So she's like working her tail off, coming home to a messy house, and he's asking her why it's a pigsty. Candles burning at both ends here. Yeah. And then there was one instance I saw a video where they got pulled over and they were asking about the registration being expired and he's like well i don't know why she's saying anything to me it's her job and she's the one that needs to be doing it one of those that everything under the sun is this person's responsibility and not mine and it's not even hers it's somebody else's problem too always like somebody that just bitches and moans and complains about problems but it's never them never them never So by late 2019, Rowan's controlling behavior was only escalating. He placed listening devices in the house and the car. He would check Hannah's phone during the night while she slept. When Hannah caught him one time in the nighttime, like checking her phone, she asked him, what are you doing? And he threw her phone across the room and busted the screen. And I'm sure that was her fault, too. Yeah. So on December 5th, 2019, Hannah was at a breaking point. She took a few items from the house. She took Aaliyah out of school. And with the help of her friends, they hid her car and left her cell phone inside of it in case he was tracking it. The next day, Hannah and the kids eventually, I don't know if it was exactly the next day, but soon thereafter, she took the kids and moved in with her parents. That day, she also went to the Karina police station. She met with senior constable Kirsten Kent, who told her that she could obtain a domestic violence order or DVO. At the time, Hannah just didn't want to make the situation any worse than it already was and she would scared that she was scared that if she did do that it would only further anger rowan making the already terrible situation even worse so she decided to ditch her old phone she got a new phone a new number so that he couldn't track her and see what she was doing smart Aaliyah became very anxious about the time that she did have to spend with her father to the point, of course, you know, Hannah's trying to keep the peace between it all. So what she did was she purchased Aaliyah a watch that had texting capabilities so that if she wanted to reach out and get a hold of her mom, she could privately go into the restroom and text her mom if need need be. Smart. And of course, Hannah was sure to remind her, do not let your father know about this watch or he will take it and throw it away. So days later, Constable Kent was around town. She saw that Hannah was working at the athlete's foot where she worked in Carindale and noted that she just looked so fearful. She worried so terribly because she would have to leave the kids with him at times. It was out of her control. She felt just utterly stuck. On Christmas, Hannah did allow Rowan to come to her parents' house. She wanted to try to let the kids have normalcy. Plus, Rowan was fabulous about guilting her into things. So she she would try to just make it all work. And she said, sure, you can come over here and give them your presents. So he stopped by for only maybe 15 minutes. He gave them each a gift card. And when Sue and Lloyd later took the children out shopping to use their gift cards, pick whatever they want, they realized that none of the gift cards even had funds on them. So he wanted to look like a big deal. And meanwhile, he just picked them off the rack and never paid for anything. Right. And you know that Sue and Lloyd aren't going to let the kids get excited and walk out of the store empty handed. So I'm sure then they covered those gifts. I'm sure. So on December 26, 2019, this is Boxing Day. 
Rowan asked if he could take the kids to the park. They had all gotten new skateboards from their grandparents at Christmas. And Hannah agreed because, again, she just wanted a good balance of life. But then he always had to push the envelope. It was like, you give him an inch and he will try to take a mile. So she's agreeing, yes, you can skateboard in the park. Now he's talking about taking the kids home with him so that they could spend the night. She refused this idea. She was not comfortable with it. At this point in time, he grabbed their middle child, um, Leanna, and like the kids are all there watching this. And Leanna is hysterically crying. He's shoving her into the front seat of the car. In the process of doing that, he hit her head against the car and drove away from them while Lin- Linnea, or I always want to say her name wrong. Leanna. Leanna, thank you. While Leanna was unrestrained. And meanwhile, the two other children are hysterical watching this in horror. Basically, their sister getting kidnapped yes. by their father. And, you know, especially Aaliyah, she knew the situation was bad. Trey is so little. Yeah. You know, he doesn't really know what's going on. He's just feeding off of the energy of his mom and his sister and seeing something is wrong here. So she called the police. They got involved. But at the time, there was no family court orders. He could legally take his child. So they really weren't able to do anything at that time. That sucks. So when he later FaceTimed Hannah, he showed her that uh, Leanna, excuse me, was okay. And he said to her, well, you're having an affair, so you need to fix that before I'm going to bring her home. There was absolutely no proof that there was any affair happening. He's Not just mention, a jealous guy. It doesn't matter. So no. like, take care of your children, you piece of garbage. So he's using their child as a pawn in their arguments. You like, want to be a big guy? Like, Be a good father. Right now, you're being a garbage father. So he ended up keeping Leanna for three days after he had fled to New South Wales, which prompted Hannah to then it pushed her to get that DVO. So she was deemed high risk. They do an assessment to see like what kind of risk are you at in this situation? So she was deemed high risk because of the history that she reported with Rowan. What's DVO? Uh, domestic violence order. Okay. So on December 29th, 2019, officers served Rowan with a police protection order or PPN as well as the DVO application after he was confronted at his home. He had Leanna on his shoulders and, you know, this is at the time he had abducted her just days before. He was immediately upset when he was told that he would not be allowed to go within 100 meters of Hannah or his children after the court issued a temporary protection order. In January, a warrant was issued after he assaulted Hannah while dropping the kids off at her home. Hannah noticed a number of photos were of her were in the back of Rowan's car. You know he planted them there so that she would see them. Of course, she see these, these excuse me, easy for me to say. I'm so worked up. She sees these pictures of her in her underwear in the back of his car. And of course, she's reaching in to try to take them. He grabbed her roughly and like basically pulled her arm behind her back and twisted her arm. He left large red marks behind where he was holding her. It was Hannah's belief that he planned to use these photos as a defense against her claim in court saying, look, my wife is sending me these pictures. She wants to have sex with me. 
There was another disturbing revelation when Hannah found a note on Rowan's phone from January 26, 2020. It started off by saying, Hannah, I have so much to say to you, but now you are reading this. It has come too late. You have turned my life upside down so fast that it has destroyed me. Without you thinking of any implications of what you are doing or saying, it's just pure evil. I have done nothing but love and care for you and the children to the best of my ability. I wasn't perfect, but I certainly have not deserved what you are putting me through. I never in my entire life thought you could be capable of anything like this, and I just can't take it anymore. The stress and pressure of what you have done has broken me down, and I have no fight left. And he went on to write, the game that you are playing is disgraceful, and I'm ending it. He continued by accusing Hannah of erasing him and said that she had had developed feelings and got emotionally attached to someone else. He kept focusing on this person that she was friends with, and he was convinced she was having an affair. And again, that was not reality. It was clear that he blamed Hannah for their marriage crumbling. He blamed her for everything. Nothing, nothing was his fault. Of course. He's a gigantic piece of garbage, just like we talked about earlier. Uh, there's so many. Uh, I, I wish there was like a, a psychiatrist or something that could just like talk to us right now and be like, this guy is suffering from this, 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 this. And like, he's just it's such a garbage human being. It's just unbelievable to me that he takes no ownership of a single thing that is going wrong in the relationship and it's all her fault it sickens me a 40 year old child like you said so he said you can't f with someone's life like this and expect them to just take it i'm not going to take it anymore hannah do you know how hard it is to go to bed every night without your children i wish you had just tried you destroyed my life and i cannot move on i hope All of this was worth it for you and your family. I'm finishing your game. I don't want to play anymore. This was never my intention. So, of course, this was alarming to her to read. Yeah, because he's capable of anything. Like, you don't know what this guy... He wants the power. He wants to be the one to get you back worse than you got him. And how far is he willing to go? Right. So Rowan began to unravel as he was cut off from the illusion of his picture-perfect family. The jig was up. You're exposed. We see who you are. It's not an illusion. They're actually pretty close to perfect outside of their scumbag father and husband. Under the surface, he's an absolute monster. He began to feel the pressure of the police and the courts closing in on him. He became increasingly paranoid. He began running out of money and closed the gym after he and Hannah separated. Through it all, he maintained that he had no fault. Officers were unaware of the fact that Rowan had a criminal history in New Zealand over a road rage incident. Big surprise. Where he ruthlessly attacked a cyclist. Former friends and associates could see that he was spiraling out of control. He had bragged to a friend that he had left a tape recording device and an iPad in the Clark's family home while he was visiting the kids. He basically planted it there. This device picked up a conversation that Hannah and her mother were having. They could be heard calling him a narcissist among many unflattering names. Yeah, but it's, uh, it's absolutely accurate. So church pastor Christopher Ensby recalled a tearful conversation where Rowan confided that his marriage was crumbling and Pastor Ensby described him as having an alpha male personality who exhibited controlling and paranoid behaviors. Ensby met Hannah and Rowan at the gym. It was close to his church. He said that Rowan would train people until the point that they were vomiting. 
On February 17th, 2020, Rowan could be seen on surveillance video. He's wandering the aisles of Bunnings Warehouse. He's looking for various items that included motor fuel. He came to the checkout counter with a gas can, zip ties, and cleaner. The next day is February 18th. He left his house before 7 a.m. He went to a service station where he purchased 4.6 liters of gasoline for the can, which in Australia they call a jerry can. So I had to look it up just to be sure I knew what I was talking about. He also purchased two bags of lollipops and three Kinder Surprise chocolates. Later that afternoon, he called a men's helpline and told the operator that he wanted to start a 10-week behavioral change program. He complained about his predicament. He blamed Hannah for all of their issues, saying, it's not my idea, but apparently I have to do it. Oh, uh, was it court ordered or no? Um, I'm not sure if it was ordered, but no. he did do it. Okay. I wonder if he's trying to cover his tracks before he does something. Possibly. He said that he it had gotten to the point that Hannah was dictating when he could see his children. He brought up the whole Boxing Day incident and he completely lied. He said that his daughter had wanted to come with him, despite the fact that she was screaming as he was running away with her. And he said, you know, it was all in defiance of her mother. He said that the, his wife hadn't issued him a DVO and things were getting only worse and worse. And he said, so much of my life has been turned around in five minutes. It's just scary. I never thought my wife was capable of doing this. The operator provided him with other support services that he could contact and when he called them, the calls did go unanswered. The operators were all tied up. They were busy. The service has a 24-hour callback requirement. They did return Rowan's call the next day at 12.01 p.m. It was too late. That night, he FaceTimed the kids. He did not speak at all. He just cried. And Hannah, of course, is in the room observing this. And she told the kids, you do not need to continue to have this call. You could hang up. He's not talking to you. She later told her mom how bad that she felt about the whole situation. Sue reminded her daughter that this was all Rowan's doing. Hannah voiced her worries about the fact that she thought he could kill himself at any point. So and like do it on the, the, the phone call so the kids could see it because that would be like his ultimate revenge. It's like, and I totally of course, it, he would blame their mother. Yeah, I wish he did that, unfortunately. So Sue knew that Rowan was always manipulating the system, always playing the victim in order to get Hannah to bend. And being an empathetic, kind and caring person, you want to make people happy. I can't imagine how painful it was to be in the situation and an optimist and somebody who wants their things to work out and you know a, a, a good human being right yep and this is all out of her control so now we're moving on to the next morning this fateful day it's february 19th 2020 and sue got up early she headed to the gym she arrived back home at about 6 20 a.m there when she came home was hannah and the kids they were awake they greeted her Hannah headed out at around 6.30 a.m. She went to get herself and her mom a cup of coffee. She came straight back home. While her mom got ready for work, she sat on the bed. They were just chatting and drinking their coffees while the kids were playing. They were watching TV. At 7.20 a.m., Sue gave everyone kisses. She told them she loved them, and she headed out the door to get to work. At about 8.15 a.m., Hannah left the house in her silver Kia to drop the kids off at school. The three children were all restrained in the back seat. As Hannah started the car, suddenly Rowan threw the door open of the passenger side. He was armed with a gas, a gas can that was full of fuel that he had filled just the day before, as well as a knife. He ambushed Hannah and forced his way into the car. 
He screamed furiously and demanded that Hannah drive as she was just screaming for him to get out of the car and defying his orders to just drive. She only drove down the uh, down the road into a driveway on Durumbel Street where again, it was not far from her parents' house. And she stopped because a guy was out on the driveway washing his car and she screamed to him, call the police, call the police. He's trying to kill me. He has poured petrol all over me. The man who is Michael Zemek, he could not see or hear the children. He was able to see Rowan. He was holding Hannah in a bear hug. He had both of his arms around her. As he approached the passenger side window to investigate, he described the look on Rowan's face as resigned. And with that, everything happened so quickly. Rowan sparked his lighter and the car suddenly exploded. And Michael just remembers a bang and blackness that hit his face. He turned his face, and when he looked back at the car, it was fully ablaze. The explosion was so fierce that windows on the houses that were across the street rattled. Oh, my God. And Hannah, Rowan, and the children were engulfed by flames as neighbors are desperately trying to hose down the screaming mother who had now dragged herself out of the car. A thick plume of smoke could be seen across the neighborhood. The first call to 000 came through at 8.26 a.m. An off-duty paramedic just happened to be in the area. They witnessed the explosion. Hannah was screaming and crying. My babies are in the car. Why didn't I just stay in the car with them? She was head to toe in flames. She was pleading for someone to please save her children. A woman who was driving her own children to swimming lessons saw Hannah's car. It was fully in flames. She found Hannah lying on the grass near the car saying, my kids, someone get my kids. As Michael used his hose to try to extinguish the flames, Hannah told him, I didn't save my kids. I couldn't save my kids. Michael was still unable to see the children. At that point, he's wondering, are they even in the car or has the father killed them somewhere else? Yeah. The three children had all been strapped into the car's back seat, and already at this point, they were tragically deceased. Jesus H. Christ, that's like uh, all these people just watching and being a mother, knowing your kids are in there. It's just got to be, I don't even know. There's no word for it. Despite being covered from head to toe in severe burns, Hannah heroically recounted as much as she possibly could to paramedics and police who had raced to the scene. Her conversation with Senior Constable Angus Skane was transcribed from the body cam audio that he recorded. She explained that she and the kids had gotten into the car just up the street so that she could take them to school. As she turned the car on, Rowan jumped into the front seat. She started to scream. He told her to drive. He wanted to just see the children is what he was telling her. But Hannah noticed the gas can and knew something sinister was happening. She explained that he had FaceTimed the kids the night before, but the last time she had actually seen him in person was about a week before. Two weeks previously, this is when he was trying to break her wrist, which police were aware of. Only 3% of Hannah's skin was not affected by burns, most of which were full thickness burns. The only part of her body that had not been burned were the bottoms of her feet. The moment a doctor arrived on the scene, he could see that Hannah had essentially non-survivable injuries. As he treated her, she was not screaming in pain. They reassured her as much as they possibly could. They told her that they would try to take away her pain that she was having and hope that she would just wake up in the hospital and be in a better place. I mean, they knew she was dying. 
So he described Hannah as incredibly courageous and indicated that the pain was not her primary issue. It was her children. Despite the horrific, horrific extent of her burns, she was able to give full details of their names, their date of birth. She was spelling out their names. Truly incredible. And it was so important because they needed this information to get Rowan. Well, hopefully he's dead, but I don't know. To be able to like make sure that everybody knows what happened. So she she gave all of this detailed information, spelling names, giving birthdays, who did this, what happened up until the point that they were injecting her with morphine so that they could sedate her and put her out of her misery and then intubate her to protect her airway, knowing that there was no way she was going to survive these injuries. First responders were utterly amazed at how much information she had been able to provide before all this happened. Once the fire was extinguished, they were able to recover the three children's bodies from the car. They were pronounced dead at 9.53 a.m., They were so badly burned that they couldn't even be visually identified to know who was even who at that point. Tragically, Hannah died in the hospital only hours later at 5.40 p.m. Witnesses attest to her bravery, knowing that her life was coming to an end. As witnesses continued to try to extinguish the flames from the burning SUV, Rowan, who was badly burned himself, had climbed out of the car. He himself had suffered burns to 80% of his body. He dove back in the car to retrieve a knife from the burning wreck. A neighbor raced to the car with a fire extinguisher from her home. She felt like Rowan was guarding the car to ensure that his children could not be saved. If she moved one way, he moved that way. At the time, she was oblivious to the fact that he's holding a knife, so somebody else shouted out to warn her, because who knows what this guy is capable of. Well, he obviously just engulfed a car and burned his wife. Uh, And his three babies. Right. Well, they didn't know that. They couldn't see them, but yeah. that's. Well, they took it by what Hannah was screaming and shouting that her kids were in there. So another neighbor spotted the weapon. They ran over to warn everyone that this guy's armed. One resident then saw Rowan kneeling on the sidewalk. He has the knife pressed to his stomach, and she pleaded with him to just drop the knife. But instead, he fell forward onto the knife. He curled into a fetal position on his side. He took his own life by plunging it into his heart. He was pronounced dead at the scene. Coward, asshole, yep. loser, psycho, lunatic, scumbag. Like, any word really is fitting at this point. Worst of the worst. Yeah. So during the investigation, it was speculated that Rowan had initially planned to drive Hannah to a secluded location, kill her with a knife, and then burn her body. That was the plan. And think about it. When he went to get the fuel for the gas can, he bought lollipops. He bought Kinder Surprise. He wouldn't have done that had he planned to kill his children. Yeah. So obviously his plans, or his plans changed when Hannah pulled into the driveway down the street. The death of the children may have just been a hasty decision in order to inflict trauma on Hannah. That's how low he would possibly go to remove his children in such a horrific way to get back at Hannah. Just like go kill yourself, man. Like don't you're the problem here, obviously. If you feel you're so wronged, I mean I'm not I'm not advocating for suicide. Suicide, no, not at all. At least only if you're an absolute scumbag and of a human I, I being. I don't that, even like it. But. Yeah, that uh, somebody I don't know. It's this the okay, Rowan. If your name was Rowan and this guy that happened to do this, this is like an opportunity. Just go go move somewhere else and don't be with anybody else. How about that? So it's likely that once he realized what he had done, 
this is when he jumped back in the car, retrieved the knife and then killed himself. And you could tell he was like building up the courage to do so because his autopsy showed like punctures in other parts of his body where he was like working up the nerve to then just fall on it. I don't even care. He so in the weeks before her murder, Hannah asked Lewis Bartlett, who she had known since 2008. She'd worked with him at the sports shoes store. I guess he was the owner. She was asking how to write a will. She explained that if anything ever happened to her, she wanted to be sure that the children were well looked after by the right people. He reassured her saying that nothing would happen to her. And Hannah replied, no, he is going to try to kill me. When she told the police about her concerns, she assumed that things would be put in order to protect her. When she spoke with her mom just one week before her murder, she worried about what would happen to the children if he killed her and then went to jail. She always worried for her safety, but she never fathomed that he would do anything to harm the children. It was always just her. The murder of Hannah and her children scarred the nation and led to an outpouring of grief at the tragic loss of the young mom and the children, which led to questions as to how police should respond to domestic violence scenarios. An inquest was issued to determine how the system had let Hannah and her children down. Deputy State Coroner Jane Bentley became emotional as she delivered the findings. She cried as she said that, you know, the deaths of the young family and described Rowan's death as a final act of cowardice. She recommended drastic changes to domestic violence training and support, teaching the people that are getting getting these information how to handle it, what to do, how to proceed. So, you know, that they need more training and support in the system. She found that Hannah suffered from non-survivable burns. She died from multi-organ failure from the fire, while the children died almost immediately from smoke inhalation and burns. Despite Hannah's injuries, the coroner herself was astounded at the bravery that Hannah was actually able to to do as much as she was based on the injuries that they saw. Yeah. Just incredible. And, you know... This way, she was able to give all the details because she didn't know that Rowan was going to kill himself. No, they would know of anything. that this was the guilty party. Yeah. The inquest was closed and indicated that further actions from the police likely would not have made a difference as Rowan was not interested. He, in his mind, did nothing wrong. He couldn't be fixed. It was all Hannah's fault. So he wouldn't have gotten himself engaged unless it furthered his own cause. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like the inquest is to figure out if something could have changed, I don't know, you know, like you can't really keep a guy away if he hasn't done anything provable, you know, against the law. It's like the, like looking at somebody's background who's never done anything in the past. It's kind of like, you don't know until they do something. Obviously he had a record previously in New Zealand, but uh, you know, it wasn't beating kids or anything. It was some, some motorists like road rage incident, you know, I don't know. He did have that, um, order in place where he couldn't be within a hundred meters of them. So what do you do? Put a cop on him 24 hours a day. That's the whole thing. He jumped into the car. Something like that can happen. Right. So again, they really didn't think in this case, it would have made much of a difference in this case. However, you know, in further future cases that more training is necessary. Yeah. And they said that he was not mentally ill. Rather, he was just a master manipulator is what he was. When Hannah's mom was asked why Rowan would have done such a horrific thing, she felt he did not know how to love, and his form of love is as a possession. 
Lloyd and Sue Clark lost everything on that tragic morning. Their home, which was once filled with laughter and life from their daughter and their three beautiful grandchildren, is now silent. The girls' bedroom remains the same as it was on the morning of their, that their father violently took them from this world. Items and toys are still strewn about, but somehow through the tragedy, they found strength. Since their daughter's death, Lloyd and Sue have been advocating for coercive control to become a crime. They've also created the Small Steps for Hannah Foundation to halt, which is H-A-L-T, domestic violence, and that stands for Hannah, Aaliyah, Linnea, um, excuse me, Leana, and Trey. It's their goal to bring more understanding and awareness about family violence, help lend support on how these training processes can be put in place for the proper people to step in and do something about it. Sue wants people to know that her daughter was so strong she would have done anything to save her children, obviously. The poor woman jumped out of a burning car on fire and tried to do anything she could have done. They're focusing on Hannah's legacy and giving her a voice, which has helped them get out of bed each morning. And that is the sad and tragic death of murder. Or I'm sorry, the sad and tragic murder of Hannah Clark and her three children. Yeah, I mean, that's just devastatingly sad. And you're right to have a bit of a trigger warning, because as soon as you heard him, you know, buying the gasoline stuff and you saw that he jumped in when she was trying to pull out of the driveway you knew what was happening next and yeah because you know he tried to explain it off that they just he wanted to just talk and see the kids well then why are you holding a gas can if that's the case and then you talked about somebody that views like humans as possessions and we have a friend that has been through a similar and still continues to be through a similar situation and there's that narcissism that just like keeps on showing its ugly head man Hopefully, like most times, just stays at that, and it never gets to this sort of level. It's just so scary. Like, I don't know if it's excess testosterone. Like you mentioned, this alpha male. Anybody who talks and says the word alpha male is not an alpha male. So that that's like one thing. And you know, this is the kind of guy I'd be like, I got to be an alpha male. Duh, duh, duh. Well, it's, it's such a lack of um, self confidence. Yeah, you're trying to talk yourself up to be that when really alpha males don't need to say anything. You know, it, or alpha anybody's. I don't, you know, whatever you want to be. And there's the inquest, you know, it's like 165 pages. It goes on and on and on and on about example after example. I scratch the surface on what this guy has done. And, you know, it's just one of those cases where his whole life was just about being the big guy, being right. I can't imagine going through life thinking I'm not wrong. Right. Like it blows my mind. And that's the kind of an opportunity if you're listening to this and you feel like you're never wrong and it's always somebody else's fault, then you're wrong. It is somebody. It is your fault sometimes. You know, I'm not saying every time, but if, if you're somebody that can't admit fault, then that's a huge like character issue on your totally because we're humans. And that's what we tell our kids all the time. And I'll say like, I screwed up and I'm sorry. I, I don't do everything right, right because we're human beings. We we're none of us are perfect. And I can't stand when, you know, I, I help teach and coach my son's baseball team. And if a kid's just like always complaining or, you know, saying something happened. Oh, I tripped because, oh, the, the mud here isn't that good. And it's like, no, you know what? You just bobbled a, a ball. Yeah, it it happens. Leave so it at that. Just admit it. You did it. That's okay. Then we'll get better next time. You have an opportunity to fix it. And I just remember reading an article about people who are narcissistic, narcissists, Nailed it. narcissists. Yep. 
um, that they're almost like close to impossible to counsel and change because in their mind, they do nothing wrong. They have nothing to change or fix. Right. So they're just listening and placating and being like, "Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm. They know how to say the right things. Yeah. And meanwhile, they're not changing. Yeah. So just a horrifically sad and tragic case. That's just heartbreaking. Yeah. Well, thank you for telling that story. It's important to know. And if somebody's in that situation, maybe you can help identify it. You know, maybe get yourself out of that situation, hopefully, and somewhere to a safe place. And again, they always say the most dangerous part of an abusive relationship is when you're trying to leave. Yeah. Because they're pushed to the corner. They're yep. desperate. Find some support and, you know. Good. And she, Hannah, had amazing support. Her yeah. family was amazing. Sounds like a great lady, unfortunately. Yes. And her kids. Thank you. Know, blessings to them up there, wherever they are. So thank you so much for listening. We appreciate all of you. If you want to, you know, you really love or, you know, love the way we come about these stories and kind of cover them and we try to be as real as possible. We're not fake. I mean, we're, this is real reactions. I always feel like crap after these, you know, it's tough because these are the worst things ever that's Mm -hmm. happened to these people. Then, you know, we'd appreciate some support through Patreon or Apple podcast subscriptions. Um, I want to say welcome to the crime and coffee couple club to Tess, Danessa, Jennifer, Angela and Kirsty or Kirsty. Uh, thank you so much for your patronage. And uh, if you if you don't have uh, the money to you know give over, that's okay. We understand. If you can, uh, you know, just make sure you subscribe to us on whatever platform you listen to us, or go to YouTube and subscribe there. Even if you never go on YouTube, just go subscribe. Um, where I'm crime and coffee too on, on there as well. But the, all the, all the links and stuff are in the show notes. So. We'd love to have you over there. And uh, yeah, you get bonus episodes. You get like over 40 bonus episodes. If yeah, you're... Uh, we're doing four bonus episodes a month now. Yeah. Yes. So if you're on the lowest level, you get two. And if you're on Apple subscriptions or the highest level, you get four a mm-hmm. month. So. Yeah. And we just appreciate all of you guys for being here listening. Thank you so much. And until next time. Bye. I was not expecting that.